Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey. Hey, man. What's up? How are you? I'm good. I'm very well. Um, how are you? I'm fine. Can I ask? <laughs> do, do me a while to figure that question. <laughs> um, I have been catching up still on Oscar movies. For me, I don't like to let go of Oscar season. It saddens me when it passes. And I'm not quite ready yet to um, see the back of it. And I recently went to see I, Tonya with friends of the show, Georgia Mills, Andy Poole, and Matt Smith. And I had a pleasure seeing it with you all, if you're listening to this. And uh, I'm going to tell you what I think thought of this film. Tell me what you thought We're about it. I'm just going to go straight into a little mini-review. feels like the time has passed really for a full in-depth review, and also I haven't made the appropriate notes to deliver one, but I can give you a rough collection of my thoughts on it. It was quite good. I enjoyed it. So it's about... I should explain what it's about. It's about Tonya Harding, who is a champion figure skater, the best figure skater in America in the 90s, who ended up being embroiled in a controversy over sabotaging one of her teammates ahead of the Olympics and had to quit figure skating, basically. Very colourful sort of figure with a uh, odd and rather unhappy personal life. And she's played by Margot Robbie in the movie. Her on-off boyfriend husband is played by Sebastian Stan and her mother is played by Alison Janney. And it's a very entertaining film. It is kind of breezes past. It's it's a very kind of like pop type movie, you know, with a lot of lot of needle drops and a lot of montage. Goodfellas, e yeah, so that like that kind of thing, you know, uh, always dropping into some seventies hit and having a cool looking montage of stuff. A lot of fun uh, figure skating. Uh, all of the skating is kind of CG assisted to kind of put margot robbie's face on a like professional figure skater to do the fancy stuff which is very understandable but almost all of those sequences have a vaguely uncanny valley quality which is slightly unfortunate or they do a bit of that like um uh, matrix reloaded thing of having a kind of dummy sort of computer generated puppet oh, right, okay. for some crucial sequences um <clears throat> or that's how it looks to me anyway uh so that's slightly clumsy i basically think it's a it's a, yeah it's a very enjoyable film the performances are really excellent the main problem with it is that it is so intent on being this like pop entertainment film and uh, highlighting the like wild ride that her life was, um, or uh, yeah, I guess was she's still alive, but it's no longer yeah, yeah. wild sure, ride. Sure. That it cuts out a bit of the potential drama basically, and she has obviously had a tough time, and it's some parts of her life are seriously unhappy, and she's a victim of like domestic abuse. Um, and arguably child abuse as well from her mother. Not like of a sexual nature, she's just horrible to her. Right, okay. And that, that doesn't really land, basically. You don't really feel it so much because it's all just kind of breezing along and everyone's having such a fun time. So it, fe- it ends up feeling like slightly disposable. You're just kind of enjoying it. It's a little bit like a like American Hustle or something, you know? has vaguely the same tone as that kind of a movie, but dealing with more serious subject matter. So it doesn't necessarily feel like it fits. But I nevertheless enjoyed it. Sebastian Stan, I thought, was particularly good. A guy who I've only really seen playing the Winter Soldier. In do more than one Captain America films. He's got two flesh arms now. What? <laughs> um, and a series of different hairstyles. They do this thing of cutting back and forth between him as a young, handsome man and him as like an older, like uglier, weirder man. And it's a bit like True Detective season one. Right, right. Um, where there's like this sort of crank old version of him and then like the young, uh, sexy version of him, Matthew McConaughey. 
but he has to he has quite a difficult role to play because he's an extremely horrible man um but he also has to be rather uh sort of charm a charming dope at, at certain parts of the film and it's never quite clear exactly what where he's coming from what his motivations are and the movie plays around a lot with unreliable narrators so it's a kind of mishmash of loads of different things that he has to do but i thought he did it very well cool and, yeah I, I i wouldn't not recommend the movie i didn't think it was like incredible but i thought it was pretty good and it's an interesting overview of um the actual events uh which i didn't know anything about and they are pretty wild and right at the end of the film they uh, over the credits they show some clips from like real interviews that they were kind of recreating in the movie which is a thing i always feel a bit unsure about because in some ways it feels like a uh, shatters the illusion of the film to put real stuff in because it's always a bit like uh you're supposed to then you're just thinking what a good job all those actors did pretending yeah, to be yeah, people yeah, yeah. and like the reality that the movie constructed is then destroyed even while the film is still playing but at the same time it was quite interesting to see uh how closely some of the weirder stuff in the movie cleaves to the truth and uh, it was almost like a way the film's saying you probably thought that this was a detail too far yeah, but yeah. it is that's actually just what happened like all of Alison Janney's characters interviews she's got like a parrot on her shoulder that's like pecking her in the ear all the time and you're like that's a bit wacky but then that's just true that's just <laughs> a woman just had a parrot sitting there constantly uh, pecking at her and yeah so cool that's my, that's my take i'll check it out check it out you know what also i want to be checking out what do you want to be checking this out this show <laughs> but, but, what, but what is it about I'll tell you, Danny, I'll tell you. It is a podcast all about Danny Moran, a leading software engineer who used to work for a company called Encom and now runs a video arcade. He attempts to hack into Encom's mainframe, but is thwarted by the company's Master Control Program, or MCP. Within the company, the vice president, who is me, discovers that the MCP has somehow turned into a power-hungry artificial intelligence. It blackmails me by threatening to reveal that I've been plagiarizing Danny's games. Unacceptable. Don't like that. Meanwhile, two employees of Encom visit Danny, and the three of them come up with a plan to unlock a special self-governing security program that will counter the MCP. They break into Encom, but before they can execute their plan, the MCP uses some kind of laser to shrink Danny to microscopic size and traps him inside a computer where he makes friends with various computer programs that are like people, and they all have to elab- uh, compete in elaborate trials is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 1982 film Tron. But it isn't. Mm. It's just a podcast in which we talk about and review films. I'm Sam Foster, and joining me, a man who's incredibly small and stuck in a little game, <laughs> Daddy Brad. That's me. So, on this week's episode, I will be pulling no punches when delivering my review of Paddy Constantine's boxing drama Journeyman. Do I think it was okay? Or do I deliver a KO <laughs> of a review? Then it's time to put on your Ray-Bans, wear your tight pastel jeans, get in your DeLorean, fire up the Proton Packs, put on the Breakfast Club soundtrack, and dance like Kevin Bacon in Footloose because we're tackling actual film slash nostalgia fest, Ready Player One, in which His Majesty Lord Sir Stevie Spielberg delivers a film packed with more Easter eggs than that film Hop. Remember that film Hop where Russell Brand plays the Easter Bunny? Yes. Probably a lot of Easter eggs in that, I assume. Haven't seen it. One imagines so. One imagines so. So that was a good reference there. Yes, very good. (laughs) (laughs) Plus, we also find time to discuss the exciting news that Adam Sandler will be making one of his rare forays into dramatic acting and talk about how a film adaptation of Fire and Fury will surely be the thing to bring down the president. Can't see it not happening. Impeachment, uh... Ahoy. Ahoy. (laughs) Impeachment, Ahoy. All of which should leave me just enough time for me to tell everyone about my new, really fun, Secret Cinema-esque interactive film events, uh, all based around the film Identity Thief. About two weeks before the screening takes place, you just give me your credit card details, you know, a copy of your birth certificate, your driving license, your passport, and I destroy your life, and you have to track me across the country as I go on a ludicrous spending spree, and by the time you track me down, I'm just in a cinema waiting for you, and we watch the movie. That sounds great. It sounds fucking awesome, man. Yeah. It's like a combination of secret cinema and geocaching. People are going to love it. Yeah. And it's high stakes as well, because their lives will be utterly wrecked if they don't complete your game. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I picked Identity Thief as a sort of random movie, but I think it does relate to the secret cinema thing in a way, because it's a bit of a sort of closed economy. Like, you pay for the ticket. Once you get there, there's, like, drinks. It's like a festival. Yeah. They lock you in. Yeah, yeah. So... 
the cost of the ticket is like 60 quid, but you're probably going to like spend twice that in the evening. You're you know? saying that like the film, they are thieves. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like there's a thief in the film and they're stealing from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Very good. Yes. Very, very good. Very incisive. Yes. Close friend, loyal listener of the podcast, Chris Young, sent us a link to the Huffington Post, who wrote a review of a new novel by Sean Penn called Bob Honey, Who Just Do Stuff. Very curious name. A bit of a Google Translate name. Yeah, very much. A bit of a translation party outcome <laughs> name. Yeah. Um, and it is a scathing review. It's full of uh, just outright... It's basically full of swears. There's like... Sean Penn's an absolute bell ends. He should never have written this disastrous novel. It's for cunts and stuff like that. Um, but well, if it's any, if it's halfway accurate, then it seems like such a term, uh, tone is uh, deserved. And it brings up a uh, a six page epilogue poem that concludes the novel. And Chris asked us for a dramatic reading of this poem, uh, and it has an excerpt here. Should I please do? Please this? do. But I don't know exactly what sort of word, like what, um, what sort of voice to do this in. Well, Sean Penn's a very serious guy. I mean, he's pretty humorless. Yeah. So um, I've got to strip all. I've got a, a lot of natural joviality to my. You want to strip that right out? Strip that out. Okay. This is all about me too, right? It is all about me too. I think. Yeah. yeah this is me too poem. It's all about me too. Um, or at least uh, it partly covers me too in in the six page poem. It's not all about it. Here's the me too bit. Though warrior women bravely walk the walk, derivatives of disproportion draw heinous hypocrites to their flock. Where did all the laughs go? Are you out there, Louis C.K.? Once crucial conversations kept us on our toes. Was it really in our interest to trample Charlie Rose? And what's with this me too? This infantilizing term of the day. Is this a toddler's crusade? Reducing rape, slut-shaming, and suffrage to reckless child's play? A platform for accusation impunity? I assume that's supposed to rhyme. Due process has lost its sheen. But fuck it. What me worry? I'm a hero to Time magazine. Great. Wow. The end is quite powerful because it is double meaning. Does it mean I'm a hero now? Let's go to Time Magazine. <laughs> or does it mean I'm a hero as far as Time Magazine is concerned? Right, yeah. Yeah. So he's against the simplistic way Me Too in his mind yes. is playing out. I think so. He seems to see it as a kind of media phenomenon rather than as a proper movement. And it's all a bit childish. Right. Either that Unlike or... this very serious poem. Unlike this poem. <laughs> By a grown man. Very a very grown up and mature reaction to the Me Too movement. I don't know though if maybe the poem is written from the perspective of Bob Honey, the protagonist of his novel. Yeah, we might not be getting the right context. We might not be getting the full context for it. But there's some other very funny excerpts from the novel here. He's very into alliteration. He seems to think good writing is just when you use a lot of words that have the same letter at the start of them. Uh, so, for example, hence his life remains incessantly infused with her identity infidelity and her abhorrent ascensions to those constant salacious sessions of sexual solitaire she'd seen as self-regard. <gasps> it's like an Anthony Burgess it's, for the millennials. Yeah, it's absolutely unbearable prose, isn't it? It's a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, when you're doing GCSE English and you learn, like, a list of things, like pathetic fallacy, alliteration, yeah, yeah, sibilance yeah. or whatever, and it's, like, ways to analyse poems. It's like he thought that was, like, a manual on how to write novels. Yeah, and you just, you just, it's like, well, it's got alliteration. That's a thing. I read that in, when I did my GCSEs. Yeah. He's a bit of an odd one, isn't he, Sean Penn? I thought he was, whole thing was being like a sort of political activist, but now he's become Renaissance man well, as well. Yeah, he's a great uh, artist in uh, literature now. He's just always talking to Chapo in that cave and uh, doing stuff, isn't he? Like sort of always building wells and uh, just dating hot blondes who hate him six months later. That's sort of his thing. <laughs> <laughs> He was building some wells, I think, in The Gunman. 
But I think he does that in real life. Does he do that in real life? Yeah. Maybe he suggested that be put in the script because he's like, I do this. I can act it. I've done it myself. Yeah, I mean, he's got a bit of a history of like, you know, uh, lending a celebrity to some sort of the most war-torn places in the world. And then when anyone calls him out for being a bit like, he's like a sort of shallow fig, he's like, you don't know what you're talking about, okay? I really care. I really care. And, you know, he's got a bit of a temper. So, like he's a bit of a celebrity poverty tourist or something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. but if you said that to his face, he'd probably just rip you in half with his huge muscles. That's probably what he would have done in years past. Now he'd just write a devastating poem about you. Oh, God. And that'd be even worse. <laughs> he'd be desperate to be torn apart by his muscles. <laughs> <laughs> after, you, after you read what he's written about you. Anyway, that's, that's pretty entertaining. Do you want to have a... Should I just read another little bit? Oh, yes, please. Behind decorative gabion walls, an elderly neighbour sits centurion on his porch watching Bob with surreptitious soupçon. <laughs> it's like, that's not even... English even, motherfucker, even, do you speak it? <laughs> it's not even literate, is it? I can't, you know, can you even use soupçon in that way? I don't think so. While the privileged patronise this pickle as epithet to the epigenetic inequality of equals, Bob smells a cyber-assisted assault, emboldened by right-brain Hollywood narcissists. Oh, God. Ugh. It's difficult. Hard, hard to get through, Ooh. actually. I'm losing, losing the whale. Um, struggling. And Stick struggling. to the movies, Sean. Yes. What's you know, Gangster Squad Two? When's that happening? <laughs> Did he die in Gangster Squad? I think he might have died in Gangster Squad. Oh shit! Sure, okay, I haven't uh, seen it. Um, but there's no reason why Gangster Squad Two couldn't be a prequel. Yeah, they go back in time. Maybe they go back in time. Gangster Squad, <laughs> Hot Dog Time Machine crossover. Yeah, you know, like in Underworld where they go back in time in the second one, Underworld Evolution. Do they go back in time or is it just set in the past? I think, no, that's Underworld 3 Rise of the Lycans. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> Underworld 2 Evolution, they go back in time, I think. They time travel because Bill Nye is in all of them, but he dies but in is the first like movie. A, isn't he like, oh, he's like a mortal though. Yeah, so he's yeah. like an immortal vampire. Yeah, exactly. So they realise he's a linchpin in that franchise. If he dies, they're like, we've got to find a way to get Nye. No one's going to watch this if Bill Nye's not in it. Was he in the fourth one? I, I, Danny, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish I knew if Bill Nye was in the fourth Underworld well, well, if he isn't in the fourth one, it doesn't exist as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> it's not a fucking it's Underworld. It's not a fucking Underworld movie. Not canon. Not canon. <laughs> Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's fit to print. So one of the best films of last year was Good Time by the Safdie Brothers, starring a career-best performance by Robert Patterson. It is on Netflix right now if you haven't seen it. Get thee to your laptop and watch it, because it's a brilliant film. And even though it's their third film, it seemed like their big breakout hit, and everyone was excited to see what they were going to do next. And they've already announced they were going to do a remake of 48 Hours. But the next film they're lining up before that is a film called Uncut Gems, and it's going to be produced by Martin Scorsese. And the plot is that it takes place in the corrupt world of New York City's Diamond District. And originally Jonah Hill was going to star in it, but for whatever reason he's pulled out. And apparently Adam Sandler is coming close to replacing him in that role. Which is kind of interesting. I guess they're both Jewish actors who can... They wanted a, com- they wanted a comedy guy. Yeah. I guess. Who can do, who can do drama. Can, who can do drama. But every time Adam Sandler has attempted to do uh, a dramatic role, it's usually worked out. With the exception of the cobbler, which apparently is you know terrible, I never saw it, but it's great, man. <laughs> the cobbler is fucking awesome. But you know, he got good notices for the Merwitz stories. He was the best thing in that, and it feels like you know when he decides to play those kind of roles, he usually does a very good job in them. Yeah, and it will be good to see him do it again in a way. And also, it's well, I don't know what his character will be, but usually his dramatic roles are of like sad men. Uh, that seems to like he's, he does a good line in like sad lonely man acting absolutely yeah so it'd be interesting to see if he does something a bit more not that do you reckon they initially called this film Rough Diamonds and then they were like cliche gotta syn- synonymize that just find synonyms for those two words uncut gems perfect uncut is it because um... no sorry I was gonna make some sort of circumcision joke there <laughs> but, but couldn't quite get the the, the the things in my head to line up <laughs> Jewish. Look, we, can all, we can all work on that. In and our, a, okay, in our everyone own work time. on that in your own time. There's definitely a joke there. Yeah. Um, do you think that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, you know that one of Adam Sandler's uh, well received dramatic turns is in Funny People, where yeah. he plays a version of himself and he mocks his own tendency to do ultra commercial garbage films. Yeah. And his character in that movie is kind of, you know, a sad, rather bitter guy uh, hung up on his ex. 
uh, who hates himself due to the shitty work that he does, basically, and is trying to find something more satisfying and real. And then after that, like it skewered him so perfectly then it seemed perverse then that he just went back to making these shitty yeah. films that he always did before. He made Jack and Jill after Funny People. Yeah, and then he, you know, signed this deal with Netflix to make a bunch of fucking awful films and, you know, made Grown Ups too and all that kind of stuff. But do you think that what he he has to do that to re up on his sadness? Because if he does <laughs> if he does really satisfying dramatic work then he then becomes too well-rounded to then do those roles. <laughs> so he has to go back to do the shitty films, then hate himself again. Yeah. And then he's ready to do another sad man role that's gotcha. really compelling. Yeah, like great art is bored out of pain and misery. Great art comes out of suffering. Happy people don't make good stuff ever. Yeah, it's true. You just can't do it. You're too content. Instead, you just, you know, do your taxes on time and like, you know, take care of your friends and you're, you know, nice to Ugh, your spouse and stuff. The worst. That's awful. You're not producing great art. So Sandler's got to tap into this, like, the part of the worst part of himself, the worst aspects of his own <laughs> by making, you know, endless grown ups movies. Yeah, that makes sense. That's my Sandler theory. Please do uh, write in to let me know what you think of my Adam Sandler theory. <laughs> I'll be publishing a paper on it, um, it'll be coming out soon. Uh, in the Journal of Sandler Studies. <laughs> <laughs> Available at all good libraries <laughs> across the country. Available on JSTOR. Just log in through your academic institution in about two months. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Okay, one, the political and uh, literary worlds were both shook to their foundations recently with the publication of the book Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House by journalist Michael Wolf. And he had a sort of expose of a bunch of uh, exciting, salacious details of what was going on inside that, you know, tr- madhouse, you might call it, <laughs> instead, of the white, instead of the White House. Um, I bought it for my dad for Christmas. Actually, it was for his birthday, which is shortly after Christmas. I don't know if he's ready yet. I thought he would enjoy delving into it, but I think maybe he's just too disgusted and horrified by what's going on over there and he can't take join it. Right, yeah, of course. I mean, I assume that the book is full of, you know, slight exaggerations or wild exaggerations because Michael Wolff is very much the kind of guy who spins drama out of all the stuff he does and, like, he writes it almost in this novelistic type way with, like, direct quotes of things he could not possibly Mm. have been there to hear, you know? Right. So it's all a bit embellished. Um, But I nevertheless thought it would presumably make an entertaining read. And I actually think it might even be better in a way because uh, Trump is such an over-the-top cartoonish figure and facing it head-on just seems like almost inappropriate. And doing it as this cartoon novel book seems, you know, to yeah. like be the right kind of approach yeah, to yeah. take. Anyway, this book was a huge success. It sold a million copies. And unsurprisingly, I guess, it has been tapped for a film adaptation. And the uh, director who is lined up to direct it is Jay Roach who is known for directing the Austin Powers movies. He also directed Meet the Parents. He recently made Trombo, and he's made a few uh, HBO movies about real-life political events. Game Change, which was about uh, uh, John McCain, Sarah Palin presidential campaign, and Recount about the 2000 uh, Bush v. Gore voting debacle. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I can see why they picked this guy. He's done political stuff. He's done comedy stuff. I imagine the film will have a healthy dose of both. Maybe they were like, Oliver Stone's too old and cranky now. He's Oliver Stone must be fucking furious that they did not ask him yeah, to do this. He's got a lot of fire and fury about the situation. I imagine he's full of fire and fury. <laughs> he's probably having such dramatic explosions of temper that they'll be um, optioning a book up <laughs> about what he did in <laughs> reacting to this news. <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is like... Though he, he has form, Jay Roach, in these kind of political movies, like Trumbo was a completely unpolitical movie yes. about a political person. And I don't know, you know, there's no point in making this if it doesn't have an angle on it. 
And I don't know if and the angle will just be like, isn't, isn't, it, isn't, it, isn't, it, weird? isn't it crazy? It feels yeah. like everyone was delighted by far as like, you know, I always thought it'd be like mad working under Trump. It's like, and it is. Ah, yeah. We win, but he's still in charge. So we're all losing. <laughs> but you got to take the victories while you can. But yeah, it does. All... It does seem like the most likely thing is that it will start Alec Baldwin and it will basically feel like an extended SNL sketch or something. And it will all be lo- loads of ridiculous clowning around inside the White House. And everyone will get to see it and be like, can't believe what's going on inside can't that White House. It. Can't believe it. Can't believe it. And then Trump will tweet about how it's a stupid, crappy movie. And they'll be like, oh, itch, look at him. He's uh, throwing the toys out of the pram. And then he'll, you know, cancel uh, Medicaid or whatever. And they'll be like, oh, well, <laughs> you wait till the sequel to this film. That will show you. <laughs> Is the, like, turnaround time between uh, real political events and their cinematic satires getting shorter and shorter? Yeah. Like, when did um, Oliver Stone's W come out, this Bush movie? Was uh, it, like, after the Bush administration was no longer in power? Yeah, I think so. Maybe I'll check that. Just give me one second. Uh, almost. <laughs> just, basically. Just got in there. Yeah, it, was, it came out in uh, October 2008, so it was right at the end of the Bush presidency, and I guess people were already moving past it, yeah. looking forward to, because that would have been before the election. Whereas, depends on how quickly they turn around this movie, but Trump has only just started. And it's almost like people are so desperate to look back on this. (laughs) Like, you only want to watch it, watch what's going on there through the lens of some kind of, like, cultural adaptation by good liberals who hate it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's better than the news. Um, But, yeah, being so close to events, I mean, it's very hard to imagine there will be an angle on it since you don't have any kind of perspective on what's going on. You're just like, what the fuck? This is insane. What is crazy? That's probably what the film will be like. Yeah. Didn't like, didn't care for Trumbo. Thought Trumbo was rubbish. Yeah, it was rubbish. That's my thing is like, he makes films about politics, but they're not political. They're just like, just the characters have many politicians and it's like a crazy, it's just a straight drama, but... Yeah, I would say like the easiest kind of political movie to make um, is the one that just focuses on like the madness of the process, which is not what Trumbo is, but like, because HBO makes a lot of these types of movies, you know, about like the people, the guys in the room, like... Or like the Dude. Bernie Madoff movie, like yeah. Wizard of Lies and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. like that. And I mean, I can't really judge them because I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> um, have you seen any of these movies? I don't know. I feel like I have just because exactly. I've seen so many. Like... I mean, you know, if if I'm completely wrong about this, I hope somebody would correct me. But I, the, what I pitch them as is a loads of like sweaty guys with their sleeves rolled up to their elbows. Like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And like, they just, that happens a lot mm. um, because that makes for you know, compelling drama, but it's not, it's, it's about politics, but it's not political in the sense that it's just like procedural, you know? Um, and Trombo was, was also a similar thing, which like, well, it w- it was sort of political, but it was about like free speech in a very broad sense, but it wasn't about like, you know, left-wing politics or it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't about Trombo's values. It was just about the filmmaker's values. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. Are you looking forward to it? Would you see this film? Are you, nope. Would you be excited to see it? Or are you just completely like, nah, blah? No, I'm yet to see any sort of like good cultural adaptation of the Trump thing. Yeah. They, no, no one has tackled it's it. such low hanging fruit or like, well, I feel like he's not the target. It's like everything around it is the interesting thing. Yeah. Like his tie it is very low hanging. You see now that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. A brutal own. Yeah. Of both Trump I would, and his I would satirists. like and retweet the shit out of that if you tweeted that. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll, I'll formulate that into a viral tweet later. Can't wait. <laughs> Sorry. Can't wait. Can't wait. Can't wait. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ass-punchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So, Journeyman, I saw this at the London Film Festival. This is the new film by Paddy Considine. It's been a while since his debut film, Tyrannosaur, which I haven't seen because I heard a dog gets kicked to death in it in the opening minutes. The and reason it's been a while, Danny, is because we've all been recovering from watching Tyrannosaur. Yeah. It took, I hear us, it's... took us about like, eight years just to get over it. I have, I've heard nothing but good things about it, but I hear it's a bit tough, and I'm like never in the mood to put it on, you know? Well, there's no dinosaurs in it. That's just fucked up. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like Rampage or something, you know, like awesome dinosaur movie. Like... <laughs> 
trampling around but no dinosaurs it's just got dog death and domestic abuse yeah this film similarly has no dinosaurs in it so that was the first no dinosaurs yeah in it. lost a star instantly so whether the title has t- dinosaur in it or not there's still no dinosaurs still no dinosaurs <laughs> so but the plot is as follows so paddy Considine, who directs and writes this and stars as a middleweight boxing champion matty burton and as he approaches the end of his career he's got one more fight to secure up his legacy and secure his future financially and sort of, you know, in his state as he can go down as, you know, being a great fighter. But unfortunately, after a titanic fight with a brash and controversial young boxer called Andre Bright, Maddie goes home and he's initially fine and he collapses on the living room floor. He's rushed to hospital and um, he has to have brain surgery and he suffers memory loss and his personality is altered and he must begin to piece his life back together. And it's all about how it affects him and also his family, um, principally his wife, played by Jodie Whittaker, and their young daughter. Here's a clip of Jodie Whittaker explaining to Matty uh, the people in a photograph who he's forgotten. He doesn't know them anymore, even though they're his best friends and his dad. Who's that? That's Jackie. Mm-hmm. He's in your corner. Oh. Who's that? That's Richie. He's your trainer. Right. Mm. And my dad? Yeah, you know him. Yeah. Who's him? That's Matt. I'm Matt. No, you're Matty. Eh? That's Matt. Yeah. Matt. Mm. That's me. Oh. Yeah. I'm my friends. Yeah. What are they? That's a good question. So, I would say I was very disappointed by this film. I think it's not very good at all. And it's a very tonally flat film and over-sentimental and a bit of a um, bit of a showcase for him, but there's not that much going on. And I think my, my biggest problem with it is that Jodie Whittaker is brilliant in it, and she is... <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Wow. And she is not in it enough. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay? I see. Okay. Maybe That's next like, time, was, just let me finish my sentence, <laughs> j- jumping in halfway through. Maybe you should think about how you formulate these things, Danny. There's going to be a lot of J.D. Whittaker fans who had palpitations there. <laughs> who obviously switched off. <laughs> <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> this biggest problem with the film is how good Jodie Whittaker was in it. I'm not listening to this <laughs> Anyway, okay. She's brilliant in it, and she's a great actress, and she just has a certain... Uh, charisma about her I think she's like full of energy and she kind of like lights up the screen and I'm always pleased to see her in a film like I think she's you know just one of those people you just say oh she's in it so the movie's a bit better and once he becomes handicapped quite early on in the film and initially switches to focus on her and you know the toy that's going to take on her which is much more than him because he's she's got to care for this young daughter and a severely handicapped husband and also part of the plot is the way that his friends and his sort of boxing team don't really know how to deal with his condition and sort of just don't turn up effectively they sort of just ostracize him so she's like completely alone in this and uh for the first 20 months or so i was kind of with it and i was kind of i liked the fact that it dealt with her because the last movie I saw about someone with a disability was the Stephen Hawking movie. And something that was annoying about that was that it focused entirely on him when the real protagonist was his wife. Yeah. It was a good thing about Stronger as well. Yeah. That, it, that it's like a two-hander where the Absolutely. woman's experiences is important. Yeah. Which is feels very true to real life. You know, it's the people... And that was what the documentary Gleason was about as well, the wife. But for plot reasons I can't go into, she kind of vacates the movie and it becomes, all from Manny's perspective... And the film becomes a much less interesting one because uh, you're just watching this sort of very good performance by Paddy Considine of a man who doesn't really know what's going on. And there's only so interesting that can be. And I don't know, like, I feel like the film was about her. And then they just got rid of the main character. Right, yeah. It was bizarre. And his performance isn't a vain one. It's very authentic and it feels very genuine. I mean, like, Paddy Considine, I don't think he can do, like, a sort of star turning away he's always so committed in his roles and he is very convincing and i kind of like how the film in design at least was kind of like a subversion of a boxing movie where he has a setback and his sort of a training montage of building up for a big fight it was just him rehabilitating yeah yeah and i kind of liked the way that the girlfriend character was prominent at least initially but 
I don't really know what he was going for. It was like the point of the movie is that living with a disability is horrendous, but it's not based on a real person. And it's only 18 minutes long. You get the sense that a lot was it was cut down and it becomes very sentimental and very mawkish in a way that felt very unearned. Yeah, yeah. So I was just like really confused by the whole thing. I didn't know what he was going for. I don't really have much to say about it because I think the film doesn't have anything to say. Journeyman without a destination. What do yes. you think? That can yes. be the, sub, the subhead on your review. Nailed, nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> just don't know why, you know. Just why? Just why? Why, Paddy? I mean, I would say that, like, the descri- your description of the film as something which doesn't feel like it's about anything and you don't know what he was going for and it just kind of, you know, meanders its way to a sentimental conclusion does not apply in the same way to Tyrannosaurus at all, which definitely right. has sentimental strain to it, uh, but comes together in a way that satisfies you that there was a scheme to everything and he knew knew exactly what he was doing and how he wanted to wrap everything up and you know so yeah. it does sound like he has even though he's presumably been working on this script day in day out <laughs> for nine years taking time only to appear briefly in the death of stalin um yeah it was, has not been using that time effectively yeah didn't care for it Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Hello, friends. There's going to be a little break in the podcast now of sorts. Um, I'm recording by myself momentarily. Danny is not here. We originally recorded an intro to the next review, but due to a recording cock-up, which is entirely my fault, it has been lost to the mists of time and it's having to be redone. So I'm just doing that now by myself. Danny will be back shortly, but until then, it's a little solo trip. This does have its upsides. Danny can be very distracting. He's got those piercing blue eyes, and sometimes I feel their weight on me as I'm talking. And he also makes funny faces and sometimes uh, gestures at me in odd ways, and that can throw me off my game. So when it's just me, I think you're going to find that I'm a much more fluent, more charismatic, and potentially much sort of wittier, funnier kind of presence by myself. And please do let me know if that's the case. My DMs are open on Twitter, so that's you're always welcome to join me there. Now, Ready Player One, that's going to be the next review. Big movie, Spielberg coming off the back of his little tiny movie, The Post. He produces a gigantic one about four seconds later. And it just goes to show that he's a very versatile director. Even as he gets a little bit older, he can still produce uh, both giant and tiny mediocre films. A little bit of shade I'm throwing there at Spielberg. This is based on the novel by Ernest Klein, and it is set in the year 2045, I should say it's a kind of celebration of gaming and geek culture and like sort of 80s culture as well. It's a bit like Stranger Things meets like Super Smash Brothers or something like that. With all the fun of your favorite video game characters jumping up and down on the screen and a few references to Ferris Bueller thrown in there as well for good measure. Um, So set in the future, most of humanity now lives in slums for unexplained reasons. It's rather dystopic. And Wade Watts, who's a kind of young nerd... spends alongside well most other people most of his time in the oasis which is a kind of virtual reality um utopia where your imagination is the only limit and you can create whatever you like and he kind of hangs out in there all the time i say that he's a nerd i mean perhaps he isn't i mean most people seem to be in there as well so by the standards of the future he may just simply be an ordinary person but by contemporary standards he would be safely described as a geek um although a sort of sexy one played by ty sheridan and uh, one of the things he does in the Oasis is chases after some uh, Easter eggs, some secrets that have been set by the Oasis's creator, James Halliday, played by Mark Rylance, uh, who on his deathbed set these puzzles for all the players in the Oasis, and whoever can solve them will own and control it. And Wade wants this for himself, and he also wants to keep it out of the hands of an evil corporation called IOI, headed by Ben Mendelsohn, who plays a nasty man named, Solon, uh, named Nolan Sorrentino. Uh, and also joining him in the film, Olivia Cook, who is the sort of love interest character with all the depth uh, that description implies. Uh, T.J. Miller turns up. Simon Pegg is sort of thrown in there for some reason. Um, and yeah, here is a clip of Mark Rylance in his virtual wizard avatar form, Anorak, explaining to the players the rules of his game and his special Easter egg secrets. Three keys. 
Three hidden challenges test for worthy trades. Revealing three hidden keys to three magic gates. And those with the skill to survive these straits will reach the end. Where the prize awaits. Let the hunt begin. Wow. Wow. Give that man another Oscar. Give him two Oscars. One for his performance as the wizard Anorak and another Oscar for his performance as James Halliday in real life. Incredible. And another Oscar just because of how well the two performances gel. <laughs> um, so this film was not that great. It is a very bizarre film. I would say that the weirdness of it stands out more on reflection than it does while you're actually watching the film. In that it basically its main achievement is that despite having nothing to say and by being a in in some ways highly cynical and bizarre film, it feels very zippy and just kind of glides along and is actually quite watchable for a large portion of its running length. And the main issue with uh, that is that it goes on for a very long time. So by the end, you're extremely ready to leave the world of Ready Player One and return to the real world. But maybe that's the point. Because at the end, they're kind of like, you've got to spend some time in the real world. Wow, yeah. So what you thought is, was a flaw was actually just... It's kind of kicking you out. It's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, you know, go snog somebody. You, you Sure. Get out, get out of the cinema. Go have a snog. Yeah, so it is very zippily put together, as you mentioned, and I think that is key to the film working at all, because I feel, think Spielberg is aware that the world of Ready Player One and in the, actually the real world of the stacks, the dystopian world, are equally cartoonish and devoid of consequence. And even when a character is like threatened in the quote-unquote real world, if they died, I would half expect them to respawn somewhere in the film. <laughs> yeah. there's, a, there's a general weightlessness to everything and a disposability to it which means that it's sort of, you know, pleasurable in the moment, but will not linger in your memory very long. And it is, I'm not really disappointed by the film because I didn't have any expectations. It is made with the trademark Spielberg competence. He yeah. just knows how to put a sequence together. And uh, for the initial like half an hour, I was kind of with it because it was like a series of, and now something new will happen because the limitless world of the oasis you know there will just be a new sequence and there's the sort of nature of the premise i mean it doesn't have to set up the reason why set pieces are happening they just happen because it's just a happen. game anything can happen exactly but it is very strange in the way it sort of reappropriates all these cultural things from the 80s but it doesn't have any commentary on them they're just kind of just props to deliver a very rote film which is itself very derivative the whole movie is like sort of eating itself it's this odd thing yeah um a lot of things are about nostalgia now and about like trying to evoke the past in a way and that this movie feels like a culmination of those trends and it is a good display of the single most unhealthy thing about that which is reducing you know complex things that people poured their heart and soul into into sort of completely exchangeable commodities uh isolating them from the time in which they were created and the meaning that they're that's invested in them and presenting them purely as like museum pieces and that's kind of dystopian yeah it's also very much i mean i know the whole thing's about a game but it's it's very game-like in that the plot is built around just like accomplishing a series of tasks there's no really real arc it's not really about anything and the characters are quite bland and that is to some extent negated by some good acting and Ben Mendelsohn is a lot of fun as the villain. He's just doing his thing. He's like Hollywood's go-to bad guy, but he's brilliant at that kind of stuff. I think and he's my favourite um, sort of cookie-cutty bad guy actor. Yeah. Cookie-cutter. Cookie-cutty? Cookie-cutter. Yeah, he's excellent. And Olivia Cook as the poorly written love interest, freedom fighter Artemis is very charismatic and she is doing like a lot of the heavy lifting in these uh, quite badly written scenes with her and uh, Wade Watts, played by Ty Sheridan, who has quite a bland role. He's a bit of like a sort of boring everyman, uh, but he's not that. Just He's just not like charismatic an actor. No, doesn't, so. have, doesn't have much natural charisma. Should have got, got Dev Patel or Jack O'Connell, someone from the Skins cast. Yeah, they're all doing very well. They're all doing well. Get one who, of those who guys. hasn't done well they're at very, that they're cast? Very, they're very charming. Whoever's left who hasn't got a career, them. I also think that the movie, you know, there's a line earlier in the film where 
Wade Watts says, the Oasis is, you know, it's an amazing place where the only limit is your imagination. But the limit of Ernest Klein's imagination is uh, very limited. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. it, and it's basically just a guy who's, he is the James Halliday character, is the author. And so it isn't that imaginative. And you feel it doesn't quite explore the premise. It's quite a rich premise where everyone can be anything. And it also has this thing about because you create an avatar. So there's a line about how, you know, the girl you fancy could be some overweight dude uh, living in his mom's basement. But that sort of like world of like, you know, identity fluidity where you can be what you want isn't really explored in a way which you think that would have been an interesting angle. It basically doesn't have an angle. The main guy is like his avatar is his expression of, you know, his desire to look pretty much the same as he does. (laughs) I guess he's very comfortable in his own skin. Uh, another odd thing about the film is that it has this huge concept which is Black Mirror-esque in its sort of sci-fi richness, which it does not explore in any way. And one of the issues with uh, deciding to not address any of the things that you bring up is that it feels like it's, it only vaguely gestures towards certain things, like the idea that having the Oasis run by a giant corporation would be bad even though it is already run by a giant corporation. But It's just like, I guess they're the good one. Uh, and they're also fighting to prevent the uh, Oasis being overly monetized. And there's one quite funny bit in it where um, Ben Mendelssohn's character references how the um, they have stu- done studies and they, up to 80% of someone's field of vision can be filled with adverts before they have a seizure or something like that. Yeah. Which is a funny way to like poke fun at what companies try to do with the internet. But at the same time, the Oasis is already heavily monetized and it, you, do, you have real world money in there. And there's a bit earlier in the movie where somebody loses their home because they play the game wrong or something like that. And like, that's fucking dystopian and weird. So, and yet they're, they're fighting to save it as the only utopian thing. <laughs> so like there's, there's something just fundamentally that doesn't make any sense about this. Like they, they are living in a dystopia because the world has gone to shit, but none of the young, hopeful, naive heroes even consider the possibility of improving the actual world. All they want to do is save the virtual world. And that's like incredibly defeatist, isn't it? Yeah. Like the whole premise of the film is that everyone's been beaten by reality and you can't even save that. All you can save is the non-reality. Like that, that's the best you can hope for. Yeah. Well, that just kind of belies just a general lack of thought about everything in the movie. It's yeah. so disposable. Like you just think about the logic of anything for more than a second. You're like, this makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Something that occurred to me... Uh, after watching the movie about like you know a film which uh, trades on pop culture is that you know the lego movie did that it had loads of characters and different stuff and actually did something with it yeah and made a point but this one is like if the lego movie was shit it would be this yeah 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 so like because the lego movie i think that's a really apt uh, and useful comparison because the lego movie is about people's relationships to cultural items and it's about people's personal relationships to them and like um, what you do with them and contrast two different attitudes towards that. Yeah. With one being the bad one and one being the good one. But this movie, despite the fact that it's all about this, there's not really about in any way, like the, the plot is about this, but there is no um, message at all about actually how people relate to culture. Um, the moment that it's rather unhealthy attitude towards uh, other kinds of cultural products are is sort of crystallized is in this extended sequence which riffs on a very famous film and it's not trailed so i guess we won't spoil it but uh as you pointed out to me after the movie it is unlikely that the person responsible for that would have signed off on this usage (laughs) yeah uh, of his movie and it is highly weird and almost insulting but i wanted to sound too precious about it no i was i was insulted yeah, well, it just well, felt insulting. Like... It would be insulting to the director of that film. You know? Yeah, I don't know if it's. Ins- yeah, I mean, it, I didn't mind too much as like the audience was like offended, but it just was like, yeah, as you say, distasteful and weird. I don't know how you're supposed to feel during when you're watching it, other than like, whoa, this is awesome! I know that film. I've I've recognized what they're referencing now. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like your reaction, it's so disposable because. How it's are you it's constantly, to feel about yeah, it? it's constantly pummeling you with like, uh, remember this, remember this, remember that. You seen this, remember that. Whereas, you know, what happened to the Spielberg? He was like this sort of, you know, genius manipulator of the audience's emotions. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's just been flattened out to like, do you remember this? It's like, you know, I thought he was all like suspensed and laughs and you know. He's supposed to be this guy who plays <laughs> you like a violin and yeah. always makes you feel the way you know you're supposed to, and he's dealing with material that makes that impossible. It's very <laughs> strange. 
Yeah. yeah. It's like the exact kinds of film that his talents are not useful for. Yeah. It's odd. Like, you know, it's it's not terrible. It's not like, it's weird, but it's not like, it's not too what the fuck weird. So it's somewhere between like an average to bad movie, but because of its the nature of its premise, it cannot last long in your mind. It's like, it's very disposable. I've already forgotten quite a lot about it. It's overlong. I would have liked to have more, a lot more of his under two hours. It can't sustain any sort of, because there's not, it's not about anything. It can't be long and be good. Yeah, <laughs> and it is long. I think the thing you will end up dwelling upon is the world that enabled this thing to be created, and that thought this is a sort of normal kind of movie to release. You know, that's interesting, but the movie itself is not so much. When Graf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to. When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sam, I saw a very good film uh, for the second time uh, last week on ITV2. Uh-huh. Um, have you seen the film Crazy Stupid Love oh, with Ryan yes. Gosling and I, Steve Carell? I have seen it. It's a very aptly titled film. <laughs> that is some crazy and stupid love going on there. Um, well, you know, for people who haven't seen it, Steve Carell, at the beginning, his wife wants to divorce him, played by Julianne Moore, and he's a sad, schlubby guy, and Ryan Gosling plays a sexy lady killer, and he takes Steve Carell under his wing and gives him a nice haircut and a cool suit and teaches him his lady-killing ways. And the first woman he manages to bed is Marisa Tomei. His first conquest, the first notch on the old belt. <laughs> Yeah, very medieval fantasy type term you're using there. <laughs> uh, but there's as later revealed, uh, Steve Carell and Julianne Moore go to a parents' teacher's evening, and it turns out Marisa Tomei is his son's English teacher. Awkward. Everyone he encounters in his life knows his family. Very, yeah, very odd. Very odd. Very small world the very film exists small in. World. And she starts talking about, uh, you know, you think she's talking about the way the son has used bad language in her class, but she's actually talking about the way Steve Carell never called her back. And there's a line where she makes reference to the fact that she had to go down on him for 45 minutes because he was nervous. And it really stuck out to me, this line. Not like, the first time you saw the movie. Just this it breezed right past breezed me. past you. But I was like, what? 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 45 minutes? And I was like, that's... Yeah, like, play that's, that back. That's play, a... play that back, please. Pause the film, rewind, 15 seconds. I want to hear this line again. She had to go down on Steve Carell for 45 minutes. That's a long time. So, so what That's is an unreasonably long time? What is it that she says? She exactly? says, "Oh, she's saying like, uh, well, the rude word the son used was asshole." So she's like, "Asshole," as in someone who uses honesty to get a woman into bed with him, but is actually full of shit like the rest of them. Oh, this is not about Robbie. <clears throat> asshole. As in someone who allows a woman to go downtown for forty-five minutes because he's nervous. Ew. All right. All right. Ew. All, right all right. But I think that's a very unreasonable. That stretches the credulity of the film. I couldn't believe anything. I think it breaks the um, illusion of uh, belief. Or yeah, exactly. What is that fucking term? I'm looking I don't for. Know. It just, but it breaks it. Shatters yeah. the fourth wall. Shatters the. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns to the camera and winks, in a classic fourth wall. Forty-five moment. minutes. How long would you suck a guy's dick for before you just gave up? Um, I would say. Yeah, it's a difficult question. I mean, the thing is that because it implies it was necessary to do that for that long because he was nervous, i.e. presumably she couldn't get him hard and, yeah. or he wasn't hard. And so she was like, oh, I'll suck your non-hard penis for a little while until you become hard and then we can have sex. But it didn't work. So she just kept going. Kept it's going. Like, it's almost like the res- recipe for a kind of X-rated Kirby enthusiasm sketch or something. You do something <laughs> out of, you know, side embarrassment and you can't stop because you didn't hasn't happened yet yeah so i would say that it, at the least the fact that you're sucking a completely flaccid penis means that it's probably not as uh arduous as it would be a hard penis where you have to go up and down a bit you know sure whereas on if it's just flaccid you don't necessarily need to do that because there's nothing there's no uh rigid shaft to kind of go up and down on you know I mean, really, I just admire that she persevered for that long. Because my sort of confidence would be shot after a bit. I'd be like, it's not going to happen. There's no point. But she, you know, she stuck with it. 
Yeah. I'm trying to think of some joke to make about how that's the same length of time that in the famous Iraq war dossier, Saddam was supposed to be able to fire weapons of mass destruction on the UK. I can't, can't quite bring that one together, but it's yeah. another gag that the listeners will so have to... So you're saying if Saddam had released his weapons as Marissa Tomei started blowing <laughs> Steve Carell, by the time the West would have been decimated well, by... That, yeah, but that claim turned out to be false. So, but that's a very short amount of time. Uh, but this claim about it's a very long amount of time. Is it true? Maybe this is her dossier and she's exaggerating, but in the opposite direction, just like Alistair Campbell did. She's sexed up her sex, <laughs> uh, her, her sex anecdote. I guess she's very angry, isn't she? So you would exaggerate in that kind of situation. Maybe she meant to say 4.5 minutes. Yeah. Um, which would be fine. That's not, might be a bit longer than, it might be, I would say that if you were like blowing somebody when they weren't hard for five minutes, you'd probably feel a bit, if there was no progress, you'd be a bit like, all right, this is annoying now. Yeah. This is, this is not going anywhere. And it might stick in your mind. And then later you meant to say 4.5 minutes, but you blurt <laughs> out 45 minutes. You would remember it's 4.5, not four and a half. Why are you timing these things? Well, maybe he has a loudly ticking clock in his room. And she, <laughs> he has a song she, playing. <laughs> she, she knows it's 4.5 minutes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. We listened to All of Black Dog by Led Zeppelin, I remember. <laughs> um, you you said to me, oh, it's no surprise that I can't fuck you now. I haven't heard All of Black Dog yet. <laughs> uh, that's a thing. That's a thing for me. Yeah. Loving that movie doesn't really condemn... Ryan Gosling's lifestyle enough I don't think so yeah. I don't think so or Steve Carell like he becomes like a womanizer and then like but Marisa Tomei's character is treated as like sort of this crazy undersexed cougar or something you know you're right and yeah. you should you know thank your lucky stars that Carell boned you but does he do anything does she do anything that's actually unhealthy in the film or is it only him doing weird you know he's he, like by trying to have sex with her he's just you know trying to become a man or something like that that's, yeah, like, yeah. that's not a good reason to, to have sex yeah well, I just say like I want to show you off to my ex-wife or something. Yeah, but, she, but he says, but he says she, he would call her, and he didn't. That's a dick move. Ghosted her. Absolutely. Oh, super dick move. Mm. If you started a relationship having been divorced, and oh, sure. Wait, no, not that. If you st- if you start having a relationship with somebody, a woman who was divorced, mm. and then she was like, "I want to show you off to my ex-husband." Would you be like, "Great," or would you be a bit like, "That's weird. You should be thinking only about me. You shouldn't be thinking about him." Ex-husband. Like, excuse me? You thinking about another man apart from me? Another man apart from me? How's that even possible? I'll just blow you for 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah, that'd that'd be weird. Anyway, apart from that, fantastic film. Fantastic film. Yeah, it's also got that weird bit in it where a 14-year-old boy uh, receives uh, porn from his babysitter because she gives him nudes of herself. Yeah. That's not right. Don't that's, do that. That's fucked up. It's fucked up. That's cr- that's a crazy stupid thing to do. That's crazy. That's cr- and it's not love, is it? That's it's not just love. Pity. It's crazy stupid pity. Because <laughs> it's presented as this kind of cutesy moment in which they really connect, but she's giving sexual material of herself to an underage boy and basically telling him that you know it's okay, you can go and jerk off to this. That's not right. That's not right. She should be clapped in irons and hauled off to the du- <laughs> to the dungeons. Going back to the medieval <laughs> sort of terminology. To, that's in my head now. Yeah. Now that you when you said uh, the first woman he beds. <laughs> now now I'm just thinking in those terms. Anyway, listeners, thank you so much for thank listening. Thank you very much for listening and tuning in. And join us in the future where we'll discuss more films and more lines about uh, unreasonably long bouts of oral sex. Yes, that will come up again undoubtedly. Okay, goodbye. Here's what it is, is that I had been asked at about, from the time I was about 30, uh, because I'd been fortunate enough to live a kind of diverse life and travel a lot, to, to write a memoir. And it always embarrassed me, the idea of doing that. And, and I thought that, you know, like in the way that criticism is autobiography typically, or that there's, um, there's or, or in any discussion of authorship, is, is, is interesting because people will always talk about a muse or the music they hear in their head and that seems other than them. And so uh, when I first thought about this book, I started to, to hear a rhythm of speech, a storyteller about Bob Hunting. So I gave him a name and Happy, be- Pariah. Happy Pariah, which became a character in the, in the novel. Uh, 
And um, I just decided to let it live as his for a, a bit. And now I'm here, you know, in an evolution of that process, okay. sharing the development of the earlier truth I told you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.